Podcasting from Studio 2520, somewhere near Akron, Ohio, and as always, via the paid subscription of Zencaster, the campus of Otterbein University. Go Cards. This is Tackling the Chicane. Nicholas Jerry Jonas. <laughs> and uh, I just try to keep it a little bit light here. Uh, if a 52-ish year old man can enjoy a track like that, then so shall the rest of you. <laughs> I mean, it is an infectious pop tune. Can't be denied. It is. It is. Uh, formed a group with his brothers, Kevin and Joe, uh, albeit uh, Disney Channel infused. But after the group's official disbandment in 2013, Nick Jonas began work on his second studio album titled Nick Jonas. And this was one of the uh, tracks that uh, came off of that. And uh, I enjoy it very much. So <laughs> say what you will. I mean, a, a good driving bass line for sure. If I'm not mistaken, that is a sort of a club remix version. Correct. And I, I struggled. I, I listened to both the pure track and the remix track and discernibly I just kind of like the way that um, this particular guy mixed it so I went mm -hmm. with that one. but yeah yeah fair enough I mean crazy to think that that song's coming up on 10 years <laughs> I mean yeah so I was I <sighs> I don't know. I've been a little bit waxing nostalgic lately, and I was trying to pull some tracks from around the 2012-ish era, and I think this one might have been slightly later than that, but um, pivotal point in our lives when we moved uh, 
here to Uniontown and and uh, Lake Township and and just um, kind of changed everything for the better. So that's kind of where I was going with that. But uh, yeah, yeah, it is funny how you kind of associate different music or songs at times of your life. And yeah, every now and then I'll hear a song that does kind of take me back to, you know, when we made that move or around that era. So Nick Jonas yeah. may be one of them. <laughs> For sure. And it, it uh, has entangled itself in my ever growing liked song playlist on Spotify, which is, probably a hundred and something plus songs now, but, um, Mm -hmm. yeah. All right. Well, musical musings to kick it off, uh, with a little Disney channel flair added in this time around. And, uh, we're going to be talking a little flair as well on the pitch later on in this episode, uh, Everton and Aston Villa and Man United and Tottenham, being the, the showpiece events of a, of a split Premier League match day weekend, some of those spilling into this upcoming weekend. So it wasn't a huge selection to pick from, hence why maybe we kind of got a, a little bit of a dud, which we'll get into uh, later. But um, first things first, kicking it off with uh, the long-awaited return of uh, sort of a staple of the podcast here. That is the box box segment. Uh, we're going to be diving into a little bit of uh, the technicalities of Formula One here, and I will allow you to uh, take it away. Box box. So bringing this segment back around of what we called box box early in the podcast, um, we're going to try to talk a little technical F1 here in the off season. And uh, with that being said, we'll have to choose a historical uh, GP maybe to collectively watch and, and talk about in the next podcast. But so I just I pulled up some info from the F1 website, uh, copyright F1. Um, what was the biggest season development in 2023? And what we have here is basically the uh, McLaren chassis, which is dubbed the MCL 60, uh, had a hugely effective upgrade last year for the Austria race and McLaren went from mid grid to being Red Bull's closest challenger at several, uh, subsequent races. Austria was actually the second phase of the upgrade package. Having first been introduced at, uh, Baku a few weeks earlier that compromised, uh, comprised of not compromised, but comprised of a new floor geometry with a more deeply ramped inlet for the uh, underfloor tunnel. Changes were to exploit the new floor fully and involved, totally re-engineered the cooling and side pod 
arrangement. Um, and this is the notable fact here that this geometry for the side pod and cooling and floor was much, much like Red Bull. So as we've seen historically, even going back to that 2009 GP, um, when the uh, Braun team brought a new chassis to the series, uh, it was only a few races before everyone kind of copied what Braun was doing. So this, this is still something that happens uh, all these year, years later uh, in modern times, where when something works, uh, as much to the chagrin of teams who develop the technology, uh, it eventually comes around to the rest of, of uh, the teams that, who can afford to do it. And, you know, that's, that's kind of a subject that we'll probably touch on here in preseason, uh, you know, speaking of ha of Haas specifically, um, is it a money issue that they can't get the upgrades that the other teams get? Is it an engineering issue? Is it a management issue? These are all things that we're going to watch very closely here coming up on the 2024 season um, with the ousting of Gunther Steiner. Um, will we see a tactical surge by, by Haas to really make this car competitive? Um, and the interesting thing about it is, is, and I keep, I, I'm, I know I keep going back to the, the Braun team, but, you know, we can't rest laurels on the fact that Haas has not as much funding as the rest of these teams, because we've seen teams in the past who are basically on the brink of being broke, uh, find a way to mm -hmm. improve the car. And I mean, especially in if you look across the two eras, you know, if you are trying to make that comparison, Braun did that in an era of F1 where the the, the regulation on finances was not even close to what it is now. So, of course, all the teams operate on admittedly a rather loose, but um, a budget cap, essentially. Um, that, you know, in theory is designed to sort of level out the playing field a little bit more where, you know, Braun in 09, um, you know, on the, on the brink of financial ruin essentially. And meanwhile, teams like McLaren in Ferrari are spending money like the world is going to end, you know? So, I don't know how far the whole money thing really gets you as a scapegoat in modern F1 um, with the cost cap era. I mean, obviously, you know, the teams with the most money are usually going to be the most successful, but in modern F1, 
we know there's a limitation to what you can spend and there's limits on development for the higher teams and wind tunnel time. And I, I think Haas needs to maybe do a bit more deeper looking into the, themselves as a team where, you know, I, I don't know. I think maybe more at the, at the core of the team, something isn't functioning correctly. Now, would an infusion of cash help? Probably. But at the end of the day, what they, the product they're developing with their cars is not good enough. You have to find a way around that obstacle of cash. And there was a Barreto written piece on F1 about the exit of Steiner. And they were kind of making fun of Haas a little bit. Um, when you, they were showing the modular garages that show up at F, these F1 races. We've, kind of talked about that in the past but um if you compare what the haas garage looks like compared to the red bull and ferrari and mclaren garages um it's like a tent (laughs) sitting next to a grand hotel (laughs) is kind of the way Mm -hmm. i saw the pictures yeah same thing with the pit box i mean you've got eight or nine positions on the higher dollar teams on the box. And then they showed Haas's pit box and there's four chairs. Yeah. I've seen that one. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, but in the first four races and we're talking about McLaren here, the car averaged just under seven tenths of a second off the qualifying pace. And between Austin and Brazil GP just, uh, a tenth and change off of the pace. So it represented the biggest season gain of competitiveness, competitiveness of any car, um, better even than the AlphaTauri, um, who began the year as the slowest car, but ended up the fifth quickest. So what can we glean from all of this uh, fantastically produced information um watch mclaren in 2024 because they made such strides last Mm -hmm. year and i you and i had talked about this in previous episodes um where we felt we really felt like the combination of drivers and team management and upgrades for mclaren are really going to make them a class player uh moving forward so mm-hmm. and uh, it seems like the grid is the paddock in F1 is on a similar page. I think I saw somewhere Verstappen saying you know, that McLaren were probably going to pose a, a much stiffer challenge than last year for Red Bull. And I, I think that'll go for a lot of the grid. I think it's obvious the, the, the gap that we saw last year I don't think is sustainable. Um, just because teams are not going to get, you know, pretty much blindsided by Red Bull's pace two years in a row. That's just not how it works in F1. So I guess relating it back to McLaren, that's there. I expect them to be competing for wins this season. 
Um, now, you know, Red Bull are probably going to continue to be the standard, but I do look to see the series being significantly more competitive this season. Yeah, let's hope. Yeah. Let's hope so. McLaren in the news again this week, uh, just standard uh, beginning of season stuff, released their 2024 livery. Uh, it seemed like you did have the chance to see that. Um, I'm looking at it now. Nothing really all that crazy uh, of change. You know, occasionally teams will sort of totally restart their design. It, McLaren, it seemed like they are kind of sticking with what they were doing later on in the season, which was that, of course, the classic papaya orange, but um, with the sort of black accents as opposed to the, the car featured a lot more blue last year. Uh, there's virtually no blue this year, if not any. Um, more of a stripped down look, I guess, but I, I think it came out pretty well. I don't know if you have an opinion. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it now as well. Um, definitely more black and papaya than anything else. Um, sharp looking car for sure. I, I implore F1 to stop with the fucking wheel covers, but I don't think that's ever going to happen. So. Um, and I noticed in the doc that I watched on the 2009 series, they had sort of a similar setup. I didn't really realize that they had done this as far back as that, but, um, mm -hmm. you know, the Google wheels on the McLaren car probably pay them <laughs> a lot of dividends. So, um, but yeah, yeah, there, there aren't. I can't think of a of an F one livery that's it's really hideous. Mm -mm. Um, Alpine back when they were like pink and blue. That yeah, might have racing been point. The, yeah, that might have been one of the least favorite of mine. But um, you know, Williams continues to produce a really nice livery. Mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm interested to see what they'll do this year. Yeah, I look if if I had a book um, to write, Haas is the team I follow because obviously it's the U.S. team. But I, you know, I I have a little soft spot for Williams because <laughs> it was one of the cars that I remember seeing uh, in the early two thousands that kind of struck a chord with me. So yeah. Um, yeah, so with that. All right. Well, with that, I think we'll close down the F1 discussion uh, for this time around at least. Um, yeah, we'll probably definitely look into maybe a classic race review next time around. Um, and then we're getting closer to some teams launching their 2024 cars and uh, not – too terribly far away from uh, testing. So uh, it's all heating up um, slowly but surely. But it'll yeah, be here. It comes, uh, gradually and suddenly, the yeah. season will be upon us. 
um, and I'm looking very much forward to uh, the race season. Looking a bit further ahead, I think that um, hopefully we're still doing this podcast two years out, but, you know, the 2026 season is going to be a very pivotal, pivotal mark in uh, F1 in the science of F1 and, and the way that these teams and cars are going to uh, approach the grid. So looking mm-hmm. forward to that as well, even though it's, as I said, a uh, couple of years out, but um, things happen pretty quickly in these series. So, Yep. Yes, indeed. So we're going to stay posted, keep our ears to the ground. If any uh, news comes out of the paddock, uh, it's been kind of quiet but we kind of expected that going into this off season um but yeah i think that'll do it and we'll go ahead and transition into the soccer talk for this week uh two premier league fixtures on the card uh everton and aston villa uh we'll probably start out with and then we'll close it down with sort of the marquee matchup in the Premier League from the weekend that was with Manchester United and Tottenham. Firstly, just wanted to check in on the table and see kind of where we're at. It uh, continues to be a a very competitive title race in England, um, which is very nice to see. Liverpool remain top. They've played 20 matches. They have 45 points um, just behind them on 20 matches. Manchester City always sniffing around the top, uh, 43 points, two points behind. And then Aston Villa, who we're about to speak upon, in third place, 21 matches, uh, 43 points. So they are uh, very fair to say punching above their weight, I would say, Um Don't know if they can really continue to push for a title, but you never know. And uh, fourth place, rounding off that that top four Champions League spot, Arsenal, who have sort of tapered off in recent times, uh, but definitely not out of it by any means on 40 points. And then Tottenham, who we will again speak upon in fifth on 40 points as well. Looking at the bottom, it's... Two very bad teams, <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, Sheffield United in last on nine points. And then Burnley uh, 19th on 12 points. And then you have Luton Town, who I, I think to, to even still be fighting for uh, this relegation battle, I think is a win for them. They are uh, in the 18th on 16 points. Everton just one point ahead of Luton Town, so... Definitely interesting on both ends of the table right now. And, um, you know, going into this Everton and Aston Villa match, it felt like a match where both of these teams potentially had the chances to win and and had the desire to win as well, of course, but no one really quite had the quality to I, I guess, separate themselves from each other. Yeah. I. This was the match where 
people were just kicking the shit out of each other and and <laughs> we had a lot of uh on field uh attention so to speak from medical staff <laughs> we had a couple of uh open wounds and whatnot to deal with and it it really just it i think extra time i'm moving forward a bit we can go back but we had a lot of extra time in the first half of this just mm-hmm. because of injuries. But um, my first note is sixth, the sixth minute. Um, there was a collision with uh, the Aston Villa keeper. There was really no result to that as far as a penalty or anything. And it was uh, Onama, if I have his name correctly or uh onana yeah yeah onana. for everton the midfielder yeah they, go ahead. i think they looked at it maybe to see if there was some kind of foul there but nothing called yeah nothing really came of that sort of just a i don't know like a bang bang play didn't really couldn't really assign fault to anyone there but yeah i think it's interesting to speak on the the nature of play here because Everton may be the the most hard-nosed team in the Premier League in terms of style of play. Going to be roughing you up a little bit, and that's that's by design. Um, not a technically brilliant team by any means, as I'm sure you could pick up on by watching this one. But Sean Dyche, their manager, was the manager for Burnley forever, and uh, he set Burnley up in a very similar way. Uh, sort of a uh, no bullshit style play, kind of ping it up the field, uh, throw yourselves into some challenges, rough up the opponent a little bit, and see what comes your way. Um, it did feel like throughout this whole match that Everton just didn't have anything in the attack that was going to ever do anything. You know, if they just had someone that could finish, maybe this ends differently. Yeah, so I had no notes between the 6th and the 18th minute. But then we had a Moreno takes a shot um, off a corner kick. Um, basically, you know, hits, hits the goal. But VAR, after a very long VAR. <laughs> yeah. Uh, offside. And... The first freeze frame of the play, it was pretty clear that there was an offside call there, but for some reason it took, you know, four or five minutes to sort this thing out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if this is a technical issue, they don't, I don't understand exactly because we get, we get calls in, our league of football within you know at the very most maybe 40 seconds (laughs) so i think the problem with this particular var review is there were multiple incidents and things wrong with the scoring play which first off let's talk about the alex moreno shot fantastic chest the ball down and blast it home it's kind of a shame that this goal doesn't count 
Um, but yeah, it was literally a half of the guy's toe. <laughs> if you yeah. watch the VAR, his foot, it was his foot mm-hmm. that was in front of the, of him, not even, you know, the entire body was not leaning forward. It was kind of just his foot was there. At least that's what I saw. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I I think why it took so long was because the VAR was, they were looking for other things beyond offside. There was a tangle between two of the players that maybe could have been a foul. And I think, I think when the referee was, was in the VAR room was initially tasked to look at it, he was looking to see if it was a foul first and then check the offside, which ruled it off. And I think, think that might be why this review ends up taking so long uh, for whatever reason. So really, um, other than that, there was two really good stops by uh, Aston Villa at the end of the first half. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, a couple of hard charges by Everton. um, But doesn't really net anything um and then we go to the the second half and there was a three sort of a three-player collision about five minutes in i don't know if you recall that and that was another um you know kind of sit and wait and see yeah this was a very stop start game it was Moments where Aston Villa were really on the front foot and attacking, or occasionally Everton. I mean, going back to those saves from Emmy Martinez, Aston Villa's keeper, very solid. Uh, he, of course, won the World Cup with Argentina not too long ago. Um, so, very gifted keeper uh, and does make watching that position quite interesting. Uh, but yeah, the, the second half was pretty slow honestly um i i don't aston villa had what it took to win and just never converted on anything so i think they're gonna feel the most upset about not getting the win here uh definitely points dropped and this is a team that are traditionally this season at least very exciting to watch so i we might have gotten uh, a little bit of podcasting curse here with trying to pick teams you know that are make making a good run or have a good story aston villa are a team that are i would say way performing expectations at the moment in third place uh and and they just fell flat this weekend yeah so remind me i think everington is pretty low right so Uh, yeah everton have had a maybe they are 17th yeah uh, it's a little bit, infl- uh, I guess not inflated, but the data is skewed with Everton. So they were docked 10 points because of um, financial fair play, uh, rule breaking, essentially. Um, they were, it's so much fucking jargon and getting into the weeds here, but essentially... They were running the club in a way that uh, was not financially sustainable, the Premier League ruled, and they were docked 10 points because of it. Um, So 
Everton really should be 12th, I think, is what they showed on the broadcast in this for them to be 17th is not really a true representation of how their season is gone. Um, and I've even seen reports that this financial fair play stuff is not going to go away either. Uh, and Nottingham forest are also in some pretty deep shit with that too. So it, it's been sort of a odd campaign for Everton because on, on the field and results would show that they're, actually pretty much bang average uh but they're in a relegation scrap because of it uh because of that uh points deduction so yeah it's been weird um going into the second half here 60th minute uh i I wrote that basically this was the first clear chance of the second half uh great uh smashed shot from john mcginn the scottish midfielder for Aston Villa, who's been in pretty great form. Um, and there was a penalty claim from Diaby on the same play. But again, just not quite enough quality for this to really amount to anything. Um, and then another um, shot goes begging just a minute later from Everton's point of view. And honestly, after that, it... Uh, this game kind of just died, <laughs> kind of just crumbled. Yeah, bit of a dust up in the 71st minute. Yellows thrown to mm-hmm. both teams, but again, uh, nothing of any real result with that. Yeah, the the one thing that I made note of because I thought it was quite funny. Um, James Tarkovsky, the Everton midfield uh, defender, um, goes, I mean, flies into this tackle on Aston Villa player. What what many would call a Brexit tackle uh, in in the I don't know the online soccer community, just totally reckless, smashes into the player. And somehow gets away with it. No card. Uh, I thought that was interesting to say the least in a game that the uh, I think the officiating maybe had more to do with anything notable happening than what was on the pitch. So all in all, uh, relatively unexciting match. Unfortunately, um, was hoping Aston Villa would give us a bit more of a show, but. Just shows, you know, you're in the middle of the season. It's a grind. We know that. And this one just fell flat for sure. Yeah. So 88th minute, Everton uh, scores a goal, but offside. And then uh, we get the result of a draw. So Yeah. Yeah, and I think it'll end up being sort of a fair result if you look at the match as a whole. Don't really know if either team exactly deserved a win from that performance. Um, but luckily, we did not have to wait too long to get a significantly more watchable um, game. And that is, I think, down to a couple of reasons. One, just... Uh, Eric Ten Hag, the manager for 
uh, Man United and Ange Postacoglu, of course, the manager for Spurs, play significantly more interesting football than Everton does. Um, in this game, basically, it was uh, defense. Yeah, we're, we're not really going to be doing that. Yeah, so much more enjoyable match to witness. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, you know, we love Ange. We love his style of play. Mm-hmm. Um, fair to say that uh, there might be a Tottenham jersey coming my way. Just I'm, of that. Yeah. Uh, I kind of... You know, we're we have loyalty to the Scottish league here uh, mm-hmm. as the flag flies, but um, in this particular league, I I would not um, I wouldn't uh, be sad to rock a Spurs <laughs> jersey. Yeah, yeah, Ange has really made Spurs significantly more likable and watchable. Um, in recent years, I actually did not have much love for Spurs as a club previously with managers like uh, Jose Mourinho and, um, oh my God, I don't know why his name is escaping me because he manages uh, Chelsea right now, uh, Pochettino, Maurizio Pochettino. Um, didn't really have much love for them. Um, but now with Ange and uh, a relatively completely changed squad from the team that I had sort of disdain for, I would say, yeah, I, I actively kind of root for their success at the moment. It's nice to see Ange proving himself in the best league in the world. Um, in Spurs are a team this year that, and this never used to be the case, you know, they can get punched a few times like we see in this match. Um, and they just kind of keep going, you know, they keep, don't really change their style of play too much, or if they do, it's adjustments to help them get back in the game. And two times this match, uh, they do end up getting back in the game. And that makes it, uh, like I said, incredibly more watchable. Um, big headline coming into this one was just that um, Spurs had signed Timo Werner, who has quite a bit of baggage uh, attached to him with the Premier League. He uh, made his name in Germany for uh, RB Leipzig, Red Bull, um, and was a great player there for quite a few years. Made a move to Chelsea in 2021 and completely flopped. Uh, went back to Germany, and now Spurs have uh, signed him on a loan initially. And uh, I, I think it's fair to say he's got a lot of work to do to prove himself, and he showed up a few times in this match and I think did okay overall. So definitely good for him. But why don't we just fire right into this thing because it only takes four minutes for Man United to open up the scoring here. Yeah. So just to go back quickly, they, the, um, tell me again, the name of the person they signed that you were speaking of. Yeah. Timo Werner. 
He is okay. uh, attacking player. Uh, play. He was positioned on the left wing in this match. Uh, he's German. Uh, I think he was wearing number 16 for Spurs. There was also uh, some talk on this broadcast of a $32 million signing. Um, drag Dragashim? Dragashimi? <laughs> yeah, Dragashin. Dragashin. I don't have the pronunciation down. 21-year-old Romanian center back. He was signed from uh, Genoa or Genoa in uh, Syria. Um, we'll see. That That is a pretty significant figure for a, a lot of money. center back coming out of um, like a mid-table Italian team. But I trust Ange Postacoglu and his his scouting network. That was one of the things he did quite well with his time at, at Celtic. His signings more often than not, I would say, panned out. And, you know, with, with Celtic, you, you never really knew these guys before they came in. Maybe the occasional one, but in... This is a another one that you know if you're not glued to the Italian league every week you wouldn't know. Um, so I, I I am interested to see how that pans out in in the weeks to come. So right. So uh, backing up now, as you said uh, quickly, um, uh, fourth minute goal Rashford to Hoyland and. We're one nil now um, at this point. So, yeah, it was nice to see a little action early. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Kind of set the table for, I, at least I get a feeling, and I don't, I don't know how you watch these matches particularly, but I, when you see that, that up front, you kind of, hope or at least i do that okay now we're gonna see we're gonna see some some, some back and forth little bit of footy here back and forth so yeah especially with these two teams man united and Spur- you can count on them scoring some goals uh neither of these teams defensively are particularly grand if you ask me and i think that's why you see Spurs spend $32 million on a defender in the January window. That's yes, probably... but I, I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with yeah. a more offensive match mm-hmm. than uh, just kick around match. Yeah. I, I, I think, think most, most people who are like me that are, you know, trying to get into this league and and others um that's what what i want to see i'd like to see a little bit more offensive action i'd like Mm -hmm. to see a little bit more you know goal action (laughs) yeah well these two teams are definitely more uh attack-minded up front faster paced um although I, i think aston villa are we just happen to see them play Everton and it was a dud but yeah fourth minute Rasmus Hoyland to just scored his first Premier League goal not too long ago this is a guy Man United signed for a boatload of money and he 
didn't really do anything in the league until about two weeks ago. And now he seems to have turned a corner. So it's nice to see that uh, from his perspective, smashes home that effort. Um, Fernandez, Bruno Fernandez released Marcus Rashford on that one. Questionable defending from Sergio Romero, uh, just kind of lackadaisical at best, uh, but it makes it 1-0, and we had a nice back and forth, uh, I think it's fair to say, and it basically uh, led us into the second goal of the evening, this time coming for Spurs, and a man that has really found a lot of form and someone you know, you should definitely pay attention to whether you're listening or whatever. Um, Richarlison, their Brazilian striker, signed from Everton uh, two seasons ago now. Uh, he's another one that had kind of struggled since moving to Spurs, but recently has really turned on the form um, in this goal. And I'd like to hear maybe what you thought. Off that corner from Pedro Porro, fantastic headed ball. Yeah, well, any time that you can head a ball in for a score is uh, a great moment. And this one came in the 19th minute, uh, corner kick, and just that's what kind of keeps me interested in the game is, you know, um, there's quite a there was quite a bit of header play in this game um and i guess for me personally you know you think of soccer as a foot (laughs) foot centric game but when you can score a goal in that fashion it really it does keep the interest peaked so yes that was that was a good one it was really cool yeah just tucked away beautifully too um you know we talk about the struggles that Timo Werner had with Chelsea, and I just kind of feel bad because there were a couple moments in this one where he, like in the 22nd minute, he has an opportunity at goal and smashes it into the fucking second deck, and it's like, ah, oh, uh, you're just you're just not helping yourself at all here. You just kind yeah, of feel so bad. Of note. Um... The Spurs have scored a goal in 33 straight matches. Yeah, that well, is that's, that's kind of a pivotal stat, really. I mean, 33 times. I mean, especially when we see a lot of draws in this league. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I was I was interested in that stat. Um, kind of makes me think. Um, you know, this is a this is a club who who really kind of goes at it, right? Yeah, and especially with with the management. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's always been their brand of play. It's never well minus a, a season or two with Mourinho, but uh, it's always been very watchable. It's been attack minded first. They're always going to score goals, uh, especially when they had Harry Kane who scored goals in his sleep. Um, but yeah, Spurs are definitely, where did he go? So he, he moved to Bayern Munich in the German league 
this summer for like 80 million pounds. Uh, he is unsurprisingly tearing it up in the Bundesliga. Um, Bayern do sit second at the moment. Um, I have hoping to God that Bayer Leverkusen, who are in first, can continue their amazing run. <laughs> so uh, you you recently met uh, a German yeah on the holiday Mm -hmm. and i don't know what if you guys talked a little bit about that or not about that Uh, we did yeah um i think his name was stefan uh and he said he was gonna listen so i think he did end up listening to one of our shows um but yeah he was um born and raised in germany and lived there and uh yeah, it's nice to talk to someone about non-Premier League stuff. You know, obviously, you know, we love it here. But uh, as someone that I would consider myself a big fan of the sport in general, and I pay attention at least to German football, it was nice to talk to him about what he thought about stuff like that. And I don't know, it's a little bit surreal for me just because – you never expect in America like to be able to talk to someone about German soccer, but uh, very cool yeah. experience. Yeah, so. sure. Yeah. So 40th minute, we have uh Rashford goal mm-hmm. uh, by Man U. So we're two to one. Uh, and it, that was his first effort since May. Yeah. This is a guy that, um at moments in his career has been virtually unplayable like maybe top five striker in the world and then other moments you know he's he can't score to save his life and finally broke it here um rashford is a player i can definitely root for great attitude at all times off the off the pitch he's a fantastic human um so he definitely someone you don't mind to see scoring. Um, and I thought very good link-up play here between him and Hoyland again. Hoyland was involved with this one. Nice little one-two between them. And um, again, um, I felt like Romero and Pedro Poro for Spurs were just all over the board here. Um, defending is the one thing that I think is keeping Spurs out of serious title contention, it's just not good enough. Um, It's, it's, you know, you can score goals all you want, but if you're conceding at a similar rate, not going to be good. Yeah. So that takes us to three minutes of stoppage. And then Tottenham takes a couple of shots, uh, well-defended, uh, but that brings us to the half of this match. Yeah, very watchable first half here. Um, a, a nice sort of palate cleanser uh, after the first match that we screened and keeping the the high energy mood into the second half. It took uh, not even a minute for Tottenham to level it once again. This time, it was Bentancur, who just kind of waltzes into the the attacking area. Uh, Nice assist from Timo Werner. Um, 
I don't know if you picked up on this, um, but there was a rather foul-mouthed young fan that was sitting right next to the field mic. Because I watched this game with headphones, so I could kind of hear everything a bit more intimately. And right, right, right before Timo Werner assists uh, this goal, you just hear this little, like, seven-year-old kid. He's like, fuck off, Werner. Like that. And then he assists a goal, and they tie it. And I was like, well, that, that was pretty awesome timing there i don't know if you heard that yes, but we have very passionate uh fans at at these particular games and i i i did i remember hearing some background ish <laughs> yeah i broke down another one that i just found 24th minute um juan basaka flies in with a tackle on johnson another just very ugly challenge that didn't amount to any cards somehow and you just heard some guy sitting next to the mics fucking cry baby i was like uh that was a pretty nasty challenge but okay (laughs) Uh, i guess you know if you're there you're probably saying the same thing so i I just thought it's funny sometimes you can pick up on these things from the crowd because the one main difference um between like a soccer stadium and like a I don't know, just an NFL stadium, much closer to the pitch. Yes. For the field yeah. of play. Um, so you can oftentimes the like the effects mics that they set up for the broadcast will pick up on these things that fans will say. Um, and you know, I watch most of these on my laptop with headphones, so I can just I hear all these little things that yeah. people are saying, and sometimes they're pretty funny. Yeah. Well, it's that's what makes um, being in at the pitch probably the better experience. Yeah, <laughs> obviously. Sure. Yeah. But, um, you know, I had Manchester on the charge in the 67th. They, they took a couple of really good shots um, after kind of a long break of just ticky tack back and forth. Yeah. Um, Martinez comes in in the 63rd for Man U. And then uh, after that, basically, you know, we had some stoppage time. And then, you know, we got our result. Mm -hmm. And that makes the table, if I'm correct, uh, Manchester United in seventh position and Tottenham in fifth. Yeah, that is correct. Tottenham are now level with Arsenal on points with 40. They have a match in hand, or uh, they played a match more. Um, and Man United sit uh, in seventh on 32 points. Um, for, you know, it's funny because Man United have really struggled this year and haven't been particularly good, but only sit seventh. Um, so, you know, a few, few wins on the bounce and suddenly things look a little different for them. Uh, and that that really just goes to show how tight it is in the Premier League this season, which is really nice. No one has really ran away with it by any means. So I think it's really going to heat up here in the next few weeks, which I'm really looking forward to. Yeah. So any, um, 
upcoming matches that you think we should put a spyglass on? Yeah, I was scouting ahead the other day. And again, so this match week was a little weird because it was split across the two weekends. I don't really know why. Um, there's not a great card for this weekend. Arsenal Crystal Palace might be the most interesting one. That's Saturday at 7.30. Um, Bournemouth and Liverpool. I would probably have to say Arsenal and Crystal Palace would be the way to go. And then we have some Scottish Cup action this weekend before the league returns the weekend after. Um, Celtic play Minnows, Bucky, Thistle. Um, so we'll, I don't know, we might pay attention to that. I'll make a call here soon, but definitely going to get some Scottish cup action involved next week as well. So that'll be something to look forward to. All right. In the meantime, I think that is all she wrote, uh, pretty quiet around here, um, Cleveland Browns blasted into oblivion, <laughs> almost in uh, almost comedic fashion. Well, uh, uh, yeah. So sadly, um, that is just kind of the way it goes. <laughs> um, it, it was pretty much classic Browns uh, in the sense that uh, you put your hopes on a. Uh, on uh, quarterback Joe Flacco in this instance, and uh, he uh, has maybe one of the worst games you'll ever see uh, in the playoffs, and the Browns were thoroughly beaten. So Yeah, so... And so it goes. <laughs> and and <so> another... <laughs> another year of Browns football in disappointment behind us and uh and then and many firings uh questionable questionable so tight end coach running back coach so the two best positions the browns had this year were yeah, firing so the coaches desperation again um and to be quite honest this is why even as a lifelong northeast ohio resident um, you know, you, I, I, I'm to the point now where I, I haven't rooted for the Browns for quite some time. Um, it doesn't really matter, I guess. Uh, it just, it's just like a broken record. <laughs> so just, yeah, you'll hear the scratch and then the, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's like every now and then it'll fix itself for like two minutes and then it breaks again. Yeah. And then, and it's not the fans fault, but we, they get on a train and it's Flacco. It's almost like they curse themselves. So mm -hmm. leading up to this game, um, the local news was playing a lot of Flacco-esque Mm -hmm. Flacco's a savior, you know, this is the year, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, well, you, you just shot yourself in the foot again. 
Yeah. Um, but we still have our our Packers uh, <laughs> that may or may not um, continue on. So yeah, they uh, they looked hot against the Cowboys. Yes. Also, kind of pulling for Detroit just because the trajectory of the Lions franchise and the Browns is sure virtually the same and two yeah, so. two good hardworking great lakes towns so i wouldn't be sad to see them yeah in the big show for sure um busted off a packers uh hoodie to <laughs> the rock at the y <laughs> nice yeah um, i guess you might as well yeah. jump onto that since well the browns uh blew her up <laughs> we must yeah yep well, uh, I think that'll just about do it for this one here. All right. Um, so dial in a retro race for next pod. Let me yeah. know what you, what you want to do with that, what you're thinking uh, might be a good, a good race. Mm-hmm. If you haven't already watched the Braun four-part series, please do. <laughs> yeah, I got a pencil out time for that for sure. Yeah, yeah it's maybe on your uh, your leisure time. <laughs> All right, we'll do. Okay, well, with that, I guess we'll get out of here. Yes, sir. Four executive producers Richard Tanaka Froggy Shan Yu Keith Williams Justin Fox This has been Tackling the Chicane. Copyright 2024. And as always, we will see you next time.